like I mentioned, we are going to be talking about Lot this morning. Not a lot. We're talking about Lot, the guy named Lot. He is Abraham's nephew, and he had some decisions to make just along with Abram. Abram was following the Lord. Lot decided to follow along. And that following is not necessarily the problem because if you look at John chapter 1, if you scroll down through there a little ways, you'll find where Jesus renames um, Simon to Peter Caiaphas and he says, what does he then tell Peter to do? What's Jesus tell Peter to do? Come, follow me. Right? Aren't we supposed to be followers? Aren't we supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ? That's probably a better, better way to define it. Yes, right? But there's a lot of things that pull on us. There's a lot of things that tug us to different directions. And we want to go our own way. But we need to remember to come follow the Lord. And if we have a choice to stand by our own faith or solely fade into the world's pleasures, how are we learning to stand firm? That's the question this morning. How are we going to learn to stand firm? We're going to look at Genesis chapter 13. As you guys fade off into the background, and I can now read. (laughs) Still getting used to that. Genesis 13, 1 through 7. So the story goes, and it happens to be a true story, so we will look at it that way. So Abram left Egypt and traveled north into the Negev, along with his wife and Lot and all they owned. Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. From the Negev, they continued traveling by stages toward Bethel. They pitched their tents in between Bethel and Ai, where they had camped before. This was the same place where Abram had built the altar, and there he worshipped the Lord again. Lot, who was traveling with Abram, had also become very wealthy in flocks and and of sheep and goats and herds of cattle and many tents. But the land could not support both Abram and Lot with all their flocks and herds living so close together. So disputes broke out between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot all that time. <clears throat> and at that time, Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land. So all was well when the livestock and the people could all fit in the same place. But once they started looking and expanding and growing and God was blessing both of them, they see that there is trouble on the horizons with their shepherds. And while Lot was walking with Abraham, It was going well with him. He was blessed right along with him. He was protected under God's hand of protection. Um, I think Lot was probably walking closer with the Lord than he, he ever has in his life. He can see the blessing there. And that just brings me and reminds me of 2 Timothy 2.22, which I talked about when it comes to purity. You put up the three things of purity, and I'm going to call them fences, right? So, um... You want to flee, follow, and friendship. And if you have that triangle, purity can live in that um, fence. So what's 2 Timothy 2.22? It reads like this. It says, run from anything that stimulates your youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteousness, 
righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call upon the Lord with pure hearts. So what do you have there? We have flee the evil desires of youth and pursue love, joy, or righteousness, faithfulness, and peace, along with friends that call upon the Lord as well. And I think what we have here is Abram was leaving his land to a land that God was showing him. So I, I believe that land was becoming more corrupt by the day. And God was like, I'm going to remove you from that situation, which I think is kind of funny. So it might not be 100% right there. Now that I think about it, he's taking them into a land that is more wicked probably than, than the land they, they came from. But God is calling them out. God is calling them to be faithful, to go where I show you. And that can be hard and difficult. He doesn't say where he's showing them, where he's going. He says, just come and go. And then pursue relationship with me. So God has come alongside them, and they're pursuing relationship with him. And Lot at that time had Abram to pursue relationship along those, with those who call upon on the Lord with pure hearts. Another way is it's put, and if you look at Song of Solomon, I believe it's chapter 2, but I'm not 100% sure about that. It's down in the ways a little bit. It says to watch out for the little foxes. So in marriage, this, this can happen as well. You want to watch out for the little foxes that can destroy a relationship. You can have these little foxes as well in uh, regular relationships, but you see them um, exemplified and uh, personified in marriage. Um, they can show up as, it was your turn to do the dishes. It can be show up as, did you... Um, bring the mail in. Did you? And it's those little things that, um, those annoyances that we have to have compassion and allow other people to ha give them grace, right? So we can't let the little things turn into big things because the big things are hard to keep in the fences. And so we want to watch out for the little foxes as they can destroy relationships as well. So it comes down to it. Who are you following? Who are you pursuing? Is it the Lord? Is it the Lord and all his grace? Is it um, things of the world and, and what they have to offer? They look attractive and they look like something that we might want to have, but they're not always the best for us. And as we look at these things, we can look at our lifestyles and we can find out what we pursue. You can look at your bank account and you can check out and see what are you pursuing. You can look at um, the TV programs that you like to watch, the things that you like to listen to on the radio, the music you listen to. All these things is the proof in the pudding that shows your lifestyle. And you can ask yourself the question, does my lifestyle reflect that of Jesus Christ? Am I worshiping him through my lifestyle or am I worshiping myself and what I want to do? Or are we drifting away? As it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we may drift away from it. That theme of drift, I think it happens seven different times in the Bible, but this is the only time that this specific word is used in the Bible for drift. So we have to 
listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. Now, growing up in my life, I've seen my dad wake up every morning and study the Bible. Brian can attest to that because he was, he's been there with my dad before. Get up and your day all starts better when you're reading your Bible, doesn't it? And when you don't, sometimes it seems like, well, you can tell we didn't read this morning because this is happening, this is happening, right? I've been there before. I've seen it many times myself. And if you look at somebody that you look to as a mentor, as a discipler of yourself, and you look, what's their pattern in the word? Are they in it every day? What's their characteristics? They're, well, if they have a lifestyle that pursues righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, nine times out of ten, they're probably in the Word every morning and praying to the Lord as well. These are the things that keep us from drifting away from the truth. How do you know the truth? You study the truth. Again, it comes back to the illustration of the teller in the, in the bank. How do they tell the dollar bills, the $20 bills, the $100 bills are the real ones? They study the real ones. They don't study the fake ones. They study the real ones because when they feel the real ones, they know it's real. And when they feel a fake one it, amongst the real ones, they know it's fake. And that's the same with God's word. When you study the real thing, you study the truth, you will not drift away from it. When you don't, it's easy to drift. So we got to watch out for our pursuit. We need to flee the evil desires of our youth, and we need to run with friends that are going to do the same thing. Because it happens gradually, doesn't it? Fate doesn't happen overnight. It happens in a gradual process. It's a slow fade as we go through. And we all have a choice to stand steady in our own faith or slowly fade into the worldly pleasures. So how are you going to learn how to stand firm? What are some of the things you're going to do? Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 through 13 says, Finally, Abram said to Lot, Let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. The whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want, and we will separate. If you want the land to the left, I will take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I will go to the left. Lot looked along took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zaar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like a garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley of the east of them, and he went there with his flocks and servants and part, parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved, his, Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. But the people of this area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against the Lord. That brings us to our second point, journeying apart. And it brings me a question, who are you following the Lord with? Who is helping you pursue the Lord? This is so important. Um, we have at least one college graduate or high school graduate going to college. When you go to college, who are you going to pursue the Lord with? 
this was instrumental in me. When I, when I moved away and I went to Western, I could tell I went, I missed church for a week. I missed Bible study and because I, I couldn't find one down there yet. And I missed it again the second week. And I was like, I got to get going to church or I am going to wind up in the world because it's so easy. It's a slow fade, right? It's just a few Sundays and it's easy to get off onto a pattern that is worldly and not wisely of the Lord. So who are you going to follow with? And I'll give you a little vacation story. I know you're waiting for one. It was my turn to drive on down to uh, good old Florida. And we're going to through the great state of Illinois. And if you've ever driven through Illinois from Peoria on down, you know it takes a while to get through, right? It takes about five, five and a half hours to get to Illinois. And I was trying to make it more closer to the five rather than the five and a half, as you can imagine. And I was listening to a book called Unbroken. Have you ever heard that story before? It's about uh, Louis um, what was Zamberini, yes. And Louis Zamberini, he was the first four-minute miler unofficially. And his story through World War II and his running career, just unbelievable. And how God eventually breaks him and he surrenders his life to Jesus Christ is an unbelievable story. Absolutely wonderful book. And you can listen to it on your library app if you ever have that. So you can listen to it if you would like to. So I'm listening to this book, so I'm not really paying attention, and I lock in with the guy in front of me, and I figure we have this pack going, right? He goes 78, I go 78, we're all good. The problem with that is we were in road construction, but I didn't, I didn't realize that because we had already gone through where the barrels were. They opened up, and they were on the side. The, line, the road was all lined. Everything was finished, and so I thought we were out of construction, I followed the guy in front of us. He thought we were out of construction. And Mr. Officer did not think we were out of construction. Um, he gave me a speeding ticket and reduced it, and that's it. So I didn't get the, the ominous one. I would, if I would have got the ominous, you better believe I would have been fighting that thing. But um, I will not fight the good old speeding ticket because I was. I knew I was speeding. I didn't uh, because I thought I was out of construction. Even so, I was still speeding with my pact of 78. So you gotta be careful on who you follow, don't you? Um, this guy's going the speed limit. I figured he was watching or we're good to go. He was not watching, he was not watching. For, and it was an unmarked car, so it was very hard to see. But that's kind of like Lot. He gets up on this ridge and he sees one side of the mountains. And if you've ever been on, you ever been on a mountain before, you look on one side and it's green and lush, and you look the other side, it's usually much drier, right? Because all the rain drops on the side, and then it can't make it to the other side of the mountain. So it's much drier on that side. And that's, I'm assuming, the case in, with this. You look at Abram's side, and, and he's like, Jehovah Jireh. God's going to have to provide because I don't know how my sheep are going to live on this, right? But he's a natural herdsman. He'll probably figure it out. Where Lot's like... All I got to do is keep them from eating too much. And I got plenty on this side. I'm going to go over here. But little did 
Well, maybe they knew, but the people in that area were extremely wicked and constantly sinning against the Lord. And we're going to find out next week, where does Lot end up? Does he go back with Abram? No, he goes right into Sodom and Gomorrah. He lives right amongst the people, doesn't he? Um, he may not do all the sinning that they do, but he is right there in the midst of it, and he's not far away from it. And dare I say, he's probably participating in that, and I can explain that next week. So, here we see Lot and Abram split due to the blessings in their lives. They had a few disgruntled shepherds amongst them, and they decided to split. They decided to go their own ways, and I think that's where Lot messes up. The biggest influence in his life of his uncle Abram, and he listens to his shepherds. He should have just knocked his shepherds' heads together and said, you guys learn to get along with them, and we can share this, and we'll be just fine. But he starts to get comfortable, and the fade starts to happen, doesn't it? It starts to happen there. And he's like, I'll go this way, you go that way. We're only, we're only a few hours apart, and he moves down into the valley farther and farther, and now they're more hours, now they're a day's journey, now they're two days' journey apart from each other, which are probably not two days' journey, but they're, they're ways, they're probably at least a day's journey apart from each other. So it's not like you're going to go see each other anytime soon. And I look at this from this passage and how does Lod choose which way to go? Was it selfishly or was it selflessly? He has got his elder, his uncle, who has to work just as hard as he does to get food for his sheep and water. And he does, does he say, well, you know, you take the good land. You know, you're getting up in your years. Your shepherds need a break. You go this way. Does he ask the Lord, Lord, which way should I go? You should split it to the north and south, not to the east and the west. No, doesn't say that either. Because I think if he would have consulted the Lord, I think they would have both been on the same side of the mountain, away from Sodom and Gomorrah. And he doesn't consult his uncle. He doesn't ask him which way he should go. No. And this at brings me to the same question for myself then. If Lot could do that, could I do that as well? How, how can we tend to fare when we start to stray away from the truth that we have heard? It doesn't come right away. It comes by taking your nights on your rooftop like David did and strain to the edge so he can watch Bathsheba bathe. You know, it was just, it's just one quick look, it's just one slow fade, right? And I think it looks a lot like King David, and then pretty soon it compounds, and pretty soon you got to do this and this and this and this, and they got things on you, and now you got to uh, get out of this blackmail or everybody's going to know. What are people going to think? You know, I think that's one of the things I like about White Rose the best, uh, coming up here and being honest with you about what I struggle with and allows you to do the same thing and we can walk together 
out of that fade, right? Into the truth, into that light. And we all have a choice to stand steady in our faith or slowly fade in the worldly pleasures. And as we have to ask ourselves, how are we going to stand firm? Verses 14 through 18, to finish it off, <clears throat> says, After Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. Keep in mind, by the way, just because we stopped in the sermon, um, this conversation goes right together. Abram's still on that peak. He can still see both sides of the valley. And he knows um, that God's, God's talking about all the land, not just uh, the land that um, he's divided, gone to. Verse 15, I am giving all this land, as far as you can see, to you and your descendants as a permanent possession. And I will give you so many descendants that, like the dust of the earth, they cannot be counted. Go and walk through the land in every direction, for I am giving it to you. So Abraham moved, or Abram moved his camp to Hebron and settled near the oak grove belonging to Mamar. There he built an altar to the Lord. So our last point this morning is to stay on the journey. And I think this is an interesting point. Promise. This is one of the first covenants that the Lord makes with. Uh, it's probably about the second one because we saw the big promise that we saw in Genesis chapter 12. Um, we see a series of covenants that God goes back or he recalls these same covenants. I'm going to give you all this land. I'm going to make you have a lot of descendants. And Abram keeps bringing these back up to the Lord. And that is very important in his journey, in his walk. So we need to walk that but he is faithful and he stays on target okay finally we see this big contrast with lot's relationship with the lord and abraham's or abram's relationship with the lord god speaks to abram while lot looked at the external as a follower who lived next to wicked people how do you think lot will do how do you think lot will do being amongst a wicked people do you think he'll hold his righteousness or do you think he will fade does he influence them to repentance or does do they influence him to sin i remember I've gone to a lot of different places uh, to work outside of the church, and every time I've done, I have this conversation with my fellow coworkers. Oh, we'll have you smoking and drinking by the end of the summer. We'll have you smoking and drinking by the end of the summer almost every single time. And I was like, oh, yeah? I'll have you going to church by the end of the summer. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Well, they didn't realize church was going to be during their lunch hour. <laughs> so um, I'd preach at them until I, I wasn't able to anymore because they would go eat with somebody else. Uh, they'd come back eventually. But 
when you start looking at the full gospel and you see that there are consequences for your sins, people don't want to hear that necessarily. But it's important for us Christians to let them know that because if we don't, how are they going to know if we don't tell them? We have to be vocal about the consequences of sin. And I didn't do it in a rude or I'm better than you attitude. I did it in a way that is it's pleading. You got to turn away from your sin because if you don't, and they're like, well, I'm a good person. Well, what, what defines good? You know, the only, um, that when that question was asked of Jesus, he says, he even asked them, well, what is good? How do you define it? Well, only God is good. That's what, that's what Jesus says, right? So if God is the standard, if he's perfection, then I can't measure up to that. I, I can never be good enough to get to heaven. Lot forgets these things. He forgets to influence them to righteousness, and pretty soon he's smoking and drinking along with the others. I have not smoked ever, except for when I was like in the fourth grade, and I had a long piece of grass, and I thought, well, let's, oh, I'll never do that again. Holy cow. That about knocked me over. <laughs> and I, I think I had one wine cooler when I was um, 21, and I've never really drank that much. It's not... I, I struggle with other things. I don't struggle with, with those addictions. Okay? Um, I struggle with pride. I struggle with um, adultery through, through looking at other things. And I've got to keep my eyes home, keep my eyes on my wife. And if we want to reach our community for the gospel, we've got to keep our hands dirty. We're, we're keeping our sobriety right? We got to get our hands dirty, but we got to do it while we're keeping our sobriety. So how do you do that? How was he able to do it before? How was Lot able to do it before? He had Abram right there holding him accountable, didn't he? He was able to walk with someone, and that's what church is about walking with somebody when you start doing church every other week when you start doing church once a month it is hard to walk with the lord in a consistent basis i would encourage you um to make it a habit to go to church at least once a week when i was growing up and all my life i've gone to church on sunday church on Wednesday or Thursday every single time and when I don't my walk suffers because I have to do it with people how do I learn I am a learner I got to listen to a teacher talk I can't read a textbook right so I want it I want practical examples I want life situations and I want to know how to do it together um, so I have to do that in real life application not only do I teach on Sunday morning but I live it out on Thursday and, and Sunday evenings with the youth, right? And I am tossing around. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out, get all the logistics go going. Uh, I want to start a men's group. I've, I've been asked by a couple of men in here to start a men's group again, um, but I'd like to pass my youth responsibilities on Thursday nights to someone else and then uh, come alongside with a men's group 
on Thursday nights as well. Because I think it's important that we come together as a church. Um, I know Stacy was interested in starting hers back up in September and August. I think, right? Weren't you talking about that, Doris? Yeah. It's really, really important. I didn't go to Bible college. Did you guys know that? I had an online, I went to online stuff, but I learned stuff, don't get me wrong, but it was in an on, it was before Zoom, okay? So we couldn't do this video thing. It was, I had to read the chat and the teachers would dump their text and it was like reading a textbook and trying to catch up to, it was very hard to do for me, somebody who learns from um, facial interaction, right? Where I learned my Bible was at Barrow Township Community Church from my mentors, my brother, Lester Meisenheimer, Marv Clausen, Joe Wire, my dad, my grandpa House. Those are where I learned my Bible from. My mom, my grandma, uh, Gran and Grandy. Those are my other, my mom and dad's parents. I had good examples. I had people that I could go to church and I could ask a question from most everybody in the congregation and I could get an answer and it was biblical and it was sound. And I don't feel like we have that necessarily at White Rose. I feel like sometimes we take for granted that we know our Bible, but do we really know our Bible? And how do I know that? Because I lived it for 22 years. I didn't read my Bible. I went to church. I thought I knew it. And my, oh, it was my junior year of, of college is I decided I was going to read the Bible from front to covers. First time I ever did it when I was 22. And did you know in the story of David after he hits him with the rock, he cuts his head off and he runs around like a manic around the battlefield? You didn't, I didn't learn that in Sunday school, <laughs> right? But it's there. It's in the Bible. And it's not the only time he does stuff like that. Um, but he does it under God's authority in his culture that he was in. So it, was it wrong for him to be in the culture? No. It was okay, but he lived under God's authority, and that was the big part there. That's where I, my goal is uh, starting in September. I'm going to try to get this point here. So be praying for that, please, as a congregation. We want to reach our community for the gospel. We got to get out, get our hands dirty, but we got to do it with our sobriety. As we go, we have to make sure that we don't get pulled into the crap like Lot does. How does Lot get there? Well, I think he just envied the bad behavior. He let go of good disciplines. He stopped following a good discipler. And he relied on his own wisdom and not the Lord's. He doesn't seek the Lord's. If you look at the Bible, almost every single time the Israelites get in trouble or somebody that the Lord has put in their place, um, an individual like Abram, they almost always never, I'm, I'm going to say never, they never consult the Lord every time they get in trouble. Okay, When they consult the Lord, it goes well with them. When they don't, it doesn't. Um, I think of the Joshua, the battle of Ai. When they get going there, they're like, oh yeah, just send 3,000 3, up there and 
take care of them. They'll be easy. We got them. And they start to lose. And they start to get, to get discouraged. We just had this huge victory at Jericho. Now we can't even beat these little guys over here. What they find out what the problem was? They didn't consult the Lord. The Lord wanted all of them to go to the battle. Why? Because that was their reward for Jericho. Because Jericho was set aside for the Lord. It was their tithe for the rest of the battle, for the rest of the promised land. Did you know that? I had to read my Bible to find that one out too. In contrast, here we have, we, when we walk with the Lord, we see a good example set by Abram. He goes to Hebron. Did you know that the name Hebron means to join? Which means it's like a covenant with the Lord. Okay? With God. He's going to do life with God. Clearly we see Abram in relationship with God. He is under authority and he has fully surrendered. He is pursuing God through faith. Okay? That's called sanctification. When you pursue God through faith, you're trying to put God's word into practice in your life. That's the process of sanctification. Okay? When we're saved from hell and everybody looks at you and they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a Christian. That's justification. Okay? And that's when we're saved by grace. That's the first step. Second step is sanctification. Okay? And the glorification is when we make it to heaven. Woo! Good old Romans terms there. So how do we get there? How do we get to heaven? How do we get on that process of sanctification? Good behavior is formed out of good behavior and discipline. Okay? Good behavior begets good behavior. And you have to be disciplined in that behavior to continue on that walk, right? So here's four steps I'll give you for changing bad habits. Four steps that you can write down. First is you've got to recognize the habit. First, you recognize it, okay? You call it out, and I would say you call it out out loud. I'm sinning again, Lord. Uh, this, is, this is how, this is one of the ways that I um, defeated my deep trenches of, of pornography. So I would call it out. I'm not supposed to be doing this. I am not supposed to be doing this. I need to walk away. And when you say that out loud, wow, there's some authority there too. Um, and if you stick Jesus' name in there, you better be careful on that one. Um, there's some major authorities. It's easier to walk away. So you can walk away. Recognize the habit. The second is to stop the pattern. Stop the pattern. I got to get out of this. What am I doing? Where am I doing this? When am I doing this? I need to stop the pattern. Okay. If it means not to look at the computer after it turns dark, that's what I need to do. If nobody's home, I need to not get on the computer. If there's different things, um, it's the same with drinking. It's the same with smoking. You call it out and you stop the pattern. When do I need that first cigarette? It's right at the beginning of the day. That's the hardest one, right? Because that's when your body's craving that nicotine so much. And it's not easy. But you call it out. You get disgusted with it because it stinks. It's a stench in the Lord's nostrils. He can't stand sin. So you can't stand it either. And that's how you start on the pattern of defeating it. Amen? That's how you start. Second, you stop the pattern. What was your mind focused on? How did we get down to this path? 
What took you down this rabbit hole? Praise and worship music is the best thing to recapture your mind that I've found in my life. If you want to get um, right with the Lord, some of you might be reading your Bible. Some of you might be praying. Those are both good. The best thing for me is to get in good worship music and pray it back to the Lord. Okay? It's the best, strongest weapon. I remember in sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher said, boys, the only every two to three seconds, you're going to be thinking about sex all the time. And I said, that's not true. From then on, I could not stop thinking about sex every two or three seconds. Well, how do you beat that? How do you beat that? It's praising something bigger than you. It's praising the Lord, focusing your mind on him. And that is how I was able to walk out of that thing. Third is change. You got to change your pattern. Change it. Recognize it. Stop the pattern. Now we got to change the pattern. When you're, you take something out, fill it with something good. If it's wasting time, I am just sitting here watching YouTube videos, and that's all I'm doing all day long. There's 104 days of summer vacation, and school comes along. To, oh, sorry. I was zoning out into my Phineas and Ferb there, right? Um, but if you look at those things, you're like, how am I going to defeat this? Is you got to change the pattern. You got to develop a different habit. Maybe it's learn the guitar. Maybe it's teach yourself a new language. Maybe it's something else. I don't know. Change the pattern. Get outside and play. Plant a garden. Water some um, seed. Ask your mom for chores. <gasps> I know. Or work on the honeydew list, right? Change the pattern. Busyness can be a good thing when it's the correct thing to be busy doing, okay? There's a caveat there. To be busy just to be busy isn't necessarily good, but be busy to do something with purpose, that's very good. So maybe it's mow the neighbor's lawn. Um, we gotta stop and then change the pattern. Fourth is this, rejoice in the change. If you stay angry at your sin, if you call your sin out, it will disgust you and you can change the pattern. It can happen. And then you can walk in the change and rejoice in the change because it's good to rejoice with those. Hey, I've reduced my smokes down to one pack a week. I've reduced it to one cigarette a day. I've gone to none. Uh, I used to drink horribly. Now I'm down to one beer a day. Now I don't even have a craving for it. Only God can take those cravings away. Only Jesus Christ, I'm telling you. So, does it mean those cravings are gone forever? No, no, no. I still struggle. I still struggle with um, sexual immorality, right? How do I get out of it? I get my earbuds in. And I start listening to praise and worship music because I've found a pattern that works. And I can walk out of that faster than I can walk into it now. It used to be the other way around. You know, and I, this is a process that's happened for me since I was probably four years old. 
And so to me, the Lord revealed to me, it's been a long process walking into it. You need to walk out of it. And it's going to take you almost that long to walk out. So he's working. He's working. And so I, Galatians chapter 2, verses 22, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. When I understand that I am surrendered to the Lord, it is easy for me to hand over my sin to him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loves me and gave himself up for me. You know what the turning point, I've never told this story before, ever. The turning point for me in my porn addiction is when I came home one night um, from Bible study and I couldn't get in my door because my wife had barricaded the door to get into the house because of what she found on the computer. And, she's, and we had a sit-down talk and... Um, I got the lecture that you're never going to do that again. And that was a big wake-up call for how much it hurt my wife. That was not easy. That's when this became real to me. My old has been crucified with Christ. I do not live under the power of sin and death, people. I live under the power of Jesus Christ. And if I truly believe that, then he can defeat the sin in my life. Amen? And he does. He does. And he continues to do every day. With my wife's help and my help and the Lord's help, most of all, I was able to walk out of that. So Philippians 3, 13 and 14, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. Why do I share that I struggle with pornography? Because I am not the hero of the story. Jesus Christ is the hero of the story. He always is, always will be. And if I can't tell my ugliness, then I can't tell my rejoicing, right? If I can't tell who, how ugly that I really am and what I crave, then can I really tell you what the Lord has defeated? No, I can't. So how do we get there? We must... Listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard or we would drift away from it. We need to watch out for that slow fade. You guys heard that song before? The Casting, casting Crowns? Well, here it is. It says, Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go. For it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. The second verse goes like this. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. What flatterly, flatterly, flattery, there we go, leads to compromise. The end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say. For empty words and promises 
lead to broken hearts astray. The bridge says, the journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Be careful if you think you stand because you just might be sinking. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. And the last time he sings this chorus, he adds these two. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. And the last, you hear a little kid singing this line. It says, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. We all have a choice to stand steady in our faith or slowly fade into the worldly pleasures. How are you learning to stand firm? Gave me four good applications today on how to walk through that process. I'm not your hero. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He can walk you out of that. Walk as Jesus walked. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and to love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, who loves people, who makes disciples, who makes more disciples, ad infinitum. Lord, we ask that you would watch over our hearts, minds, bodies, and strength, that you would be there to lift us up and lift us out of the muck and the mire. Lord, just like you've lifted me out of my addictions, you can also lift up um, those here at White Rose from theirs. Lord, you can lift up this community out of generational um, alcoholism and abuse and sexual temptation that's gone on for so long, Lord. Lord, you, we cry out to you that we would be able to steadily stand firm in your ways and walk in your truth. Lord, we ask that you would go before us and you would go with us and that you would be a presence after we leave. Guide and direct us into your word, into your truth, that we would not drift away from you. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.